All right, guys, welcome to another episode of Bitcoin Tech Talk. My name is Jimmy Song, and you can always find this newsletter at jimmysong.substack.com and get it every Monday in your inbox at 9 a.m. Central Time. Bitcoin Build Civilization, Bitcoin Tech Talk, issue number 270. I was watching a documentary a while back about bears and how they all wait for the salmon run to feed themselves. There's plenty of abundance when the fish are running, but before that period is a long time of scarcity. Fish are hard to find, so bears have a couple of different strategies to eat the fish. The first strategy is what you would expect. The bear works hard to capture the fish in the water. This is difficult because there aren't that many fish in that environment and they are harder to catch. The other strategy is more nefarious. The bear waits for another bear using the first strategy to catch the fish and then immediately attacks the first bear and takes away the fish. They typically sit idly on shore and just wait for the first one to do the work. As soon as the first bear catches the fish, the second bear takes the proceeds from the first bear's hard work. The law of the wild is that might makes right and the stronger bears just don't have to work as hard because they have the power to overwhelm the weaker bears. This strikes us as patently unfair because it is. We feel it in our bones that the first bear deserves the fruit of its labor and not the second bear who sometimes only needs to threaten to get the fish. There are the producers and the thieves. We may think that humans are more sophisticated, but we're not. The same separation between stealing and producing exists, just better hidden. The obvious thieves are the ones that commit burglary, larceny, or armed robbery. The less obvious thieves are those that tax transactions. These are people that don't add value but capture some of it, or what we call rent seekers. Rent seekers are everywhere in our economy and they are the equivalent of the bears sitting on shore waiting for the producers to produce something so they can get a cut. They don't wait they don't want all of our fish, just a percentage, and in return they promise not to get us fired or put us in prison. The sad thing is that rent seekers are typically completely unaware of their rent seeking. Much as the bear has no qualms about taking fish from another bear that worked hard, rent seekers typically don't think very much about what value they're adding, merely that they are capturing some value. The sad thing is that fiat money makes rent seeking incredibly easy. Value can be stolen from without the property actually moving. It's obvious to the first bear that the second bear stole the fish from it. It's not at all obvious to us that we are being stolen from when money is being printed seems that our bigger brains require more complex rationalizations. This is where Bitcoin shines, because it is an unseizable hard money. Unlike fish or gold, it cannot be physically taken away without the holder's consent. Unlike USD, it also cannot be inflated away. Bitcoin, in other words, is anti-rent-seeking money. This is no small feat. In any society where there's a lot of theft, civilization tends to decline or not sprout at all. The most backward places tend to also be the ones highest in theft, whether illegal, robbery, or legal, rent-seeking. This is ultimately why having a tool like Bitcoin that allows people to produce and keep the fruits of their labor is so important. It builds civilization where there is none and prevents decline. In other words, Bitcoin builds civilization. So I wrote this after uh, sort of thinking about the nefariousness of rent seeking. And I wanted to describe that in a way that would be relevant to Bitcoiners. So, um, you know, for a lot of people, they don't recognize uh, the nefarious effects of rent seeking and how that really destroys civilization. And I, I, I made the argument here that 
essentially what fiat money does is it makes it so that a lot of people get to sort of sit on shore and uh, you know tax uh, the bears that are actually doing the work. Um, and you know the unfortunate reality is that a significant portion of uh, of today's society is people that are sitting on shore or just waiting for other people to do the work so they can go tax it. They're, they're not actually adding value. So um, this is an unfortunate reality and uh, continues to be, but you know it is what it is. And that's, uh, that's what I wanted to point out is that with Bitcoin, you, uh, you disincentivize that behavior, but fiat incentivizes it significantly. Let's talk about Bitcoin. Jeremy Rubin explains what payment pools are, how they're available using Taproot, and how CPO helps it have more features. The idea of a payment pool is that a single UTXO on-chain can represent a lot of users' funds. In a sense, this is done already as exchanges have giant UTXOs that represent potentially hundreds of thousands of user funds. The difference in a payment pool is that users don't have to trust a third party, and this requires some sort of covenant on-chain. As Jeremy explains, you can do this with OpCTV. AJ Towns's OpTLUV and OpValue would do something similar as Taproot is well-suited for payment pools. Um, so interesting ideas uh, around payment pool is that uh, you can have a single UTXO that represents like hundreds or thousands or millions of user funds. Um, and Taproot actually makes this uh, much more logical. You can you could put it in the taps, uh, Taproot tree. And if you use something like AJ Townsend's TLUV and off value, um, you own one of the leaves, but it's sort of hidden underneath this, uh, you know, uh, pay to Taproot address. Um, and you're only able to spend a specific amount that you own if you use AJ Townsend's OpTLUV. Um, so very interesting idea. Um, it can also be done with OpCTV. I thought Jeremy did a great job explaining what payment pools are. Um, good, good stuff from his advent calendar or Bitcoin advent calendar. ScriptWiz is a web-based script debugger for tracking what the stack is at any point in the execution. This is great for developers trying to work out the script and how it executes. The tool supports both SegWit v0 and v1, which is Taproot, and can also do liquid scripts as well. For trickier scripts, it's a nice web alternative to doing something from the command line. So um, it's a it's a pretty cool tool to see what the execution is and you know the addresses generated um, and, and things like that if it happens to fit uh, the smart contract uh, pattern of uh, SegWit or Taproot or PubKey Hash or whatever. But uh, very good for uh, developers and you don't have to run anything on command line. So good good stuff. Trezor now has a taproot support. As far as I can tell, only the single sig taproot from BIP86 is supported and none of the more interesting features like multi-sig is yet there. It also looks like you need to upgrade everything, including the firmware on your Trezor devices and even the default wallet software is being deprecated. They also seem to be spending an inordinate amount of time on altcoins, which is quite disheartening. So good on them for adding taproot um even though it's just like bip86 which is the single sig most boring thing out there, there there's not even like backup path or anything like that that you're able to add necessarily um but uh multi-sig uh you know is, is the real useful stuff right like the ability to um you know add uh you know backup paths and so on uh, but they're, they're firm, uh, the thing that I'm disappointed with Trezor is, uh, you know, they, they seem to be promoting Ethereum and 
trying to get people to do stuff on Ethereum. They're they're still kind of an altcoin like heavy company. I, I'd love to see uh, you know Bitcoin only firmware that focuses in on Taproot stuff um, and adding backups and all this other stuff that you can do now with Taproot that they don't. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe it'll come, but yeah, they they seem more interested in getting altcoin business. So kind of sucks. All right, Lightning Labs has started a blip repository for Lightning improvement proposals. The process looks like it's similar to the BIP process for Bitcoin proper, but improved somewhat, including developers from a lot of different Lightning implementations. Having industry standards will be very important for Lightning to grow, and as we've seen with BIPs, having one doesn't guarantee anything, but it does give engineers everywhere something to code again. So uh it's a it's a repository for different improvement pro improvement proposals in lightning i'm sure um as lightning becomes sort of like a layer for uh the decentralized web that we always wanted uh this is going to become more and more prominent and more used and so on voltage has announced a flow dashboard this is software to manage your lightning node the dashboard has a direct interface to the lightning pool service allowing you to buy inbound liquidity. The whole thing is based on the Flow API, but has a nice interface for those that aren't programmers. As Lightning becomes a bigger part of the ecosystem, it will be interesting to see how many people will all will be able to find the right formula to make the most money routing as a node. So um, I would describe Flow Dashboard as not for the casual, uh, you know, big, uh, Lightning payer, right? Like if you're just paying people in Lightning, that's this is not something that you're going to need. But if you're a merchant, you're going to want inbound liquidity. If you are a router, you're going to want inbound liquidity. And managing that and figuring out the right formulas to uh, know where to open channels and so on, that, that's going to require some, uh, some of this stuff. Um, I've been saying for a while that Lightning software will probably start diverging, and this is, I think, evidence of that. This is more for merchants and routing nodes and not for uh, sort of payers or consumers. Um, all right. Jeremy Rubin posts about using Sapio enabled by Opsy TV to create non-interactive channel opens in Lightning, much like the other story. This one is part of his advent series. This is an excellent post that describes what channels are and how it's currently interactive, requiring multiple rounds of communication, but how with Opsy TV you can make non-interactive channels and the recipient isn't required to keep the public key online or the private key online. I hadn't realized this was possible and it's certainly a huge step to for, forward for Lightning. I, I'm not clear though on whether this requires Opsy TV specifically or whether this is possible with other Covenant proposals. So um, the, the whole thing about channel opens is that it really is interactive. You need somebody to uh, have uh, both both parties need to have their private key online to do this exchange and stuff like that. Uh, but what Opsi TV lets you do is uh, basically have a, a non-interactive channel open. So the merchant can keep their uh, private key offline and still have channels open to them. I imagine it uses some sort of covenant to store that money and so on. Uh, but very interesting proposal. It's warming me up to more Covenant stuff because this, this is a very clear security improvement on Lightning stuff. Bitwage now supports salary payments and Lightning. The payment looks a bit like a publicity stunt more than a strategy, but payroll processing is a bit of a mess all over the world as so much of it is re regulated. There's probably some margin to be made by using Lightning instead of the traditional banking infrastructure, and it'll be interesting to see if companies like Bitwage can take advantage. So... 
Um, the idea here is, uh, well, I mean, BitWage has been doing this sort of stuff with just normal Bitcoin for a while. Um, they finally seem to have a way to pay in Lightning. The more interesting stuff, though, is being able to pay more frequently or, um, you know, in a curve that's not linear or something like that. Um, that is not something that they uh, seem to have integrated or anything like that. Um, so the, you know, the current payroll processors uh, basically just pay, uh, you know, some fixed amount every couple of weeks or something to that effect. Um, what BitWage can do with Lightning is pay people on a per minute basis or whatever. Um, and that that should at least theoretically make it a lot uh, more motivating for the employees or more convenient or whatever because you get liquidity on your salary right away rather than having to wait a couple weeks and so on. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like they're missing a lot of the usefulness of Lightning, but we'll see what, what happens going forward. Economics, engineering, etc. Robert Breedlove argues that money is best when it mimics quality, quality, the qualities of time. Specifically, he argues that money like time should be immutable, impartial, and irreproducible. The current fiat system is certainly the opposite of all those things, and it's an interesting comparison, particularly since he's been arguing that money is time and time is money. Metaphysically, the more qualities they share, the better they will represent each other. And that's the logic that he's uh, sort of applying. The more immutable it is, like time, once you use it, it's like once it passes, it's, it's gone. You don't, you don't get it back. Um, and it's immutable in that way. And Bitcoin is very much immutable in the same way. It's, uh, it's also impartial, right? It doesn't care if you're a king or, uh, or pauper or whatever. It just keeps moving. Um, Bitcoin also is the same way. And it's also irreproducible. You can't go back in time or whatever. Um, the current fiat system is very much kind of like that, where you can go back in time. It is mutable and it's definitely partial. So um, sort of having Bitcoin lets, lets it imitate time and it makes for a much better money because money represents time and time represents money as well. Consumer really, uh, really is a derogatory term. This is a thought that I've had also as a consumer only focuses on one side of the equation. Everything consumed must reproduce first. And as the article points out, focusing on the consuming side puts people in a lower subservient position to the producer, which in a fiat system is purported to be those that are in charge. At least for me, when you say consumer, it, it like sort of indicates that you are a rent seeker or something like that. And that's a position that... Um, those in charge are putting us in by calling us consumers uh, and they being the producers or the overlords that manage the economy and are able to create production through their masterful management of money somehow, uh, which is totally the wrong frame from which it, it could come. So I, I do agree that consumer is a derogatory term. Uh, Grayscale surveyed Americans and found 26% now own Bitcoin in some form. A couple of caveats about this survey. These were households with at least $10,000 in investable income and all were between 25 and 64. Still, this is an astonishing statistic and one that government officials will need to take into account. What's more, 77% said that they would invest in Bitcoin if an ETF existed. And given that the survey was conducted in August and two Bitcoin ETFs launched in October, I suspect the percentage in that particular demographic is probably higher now. So 
um, you know, 25%, like that, that was sort of being reported. It's, it's really sort of higher income folks that have $10,000 to invest and 20, they're all between 25 and 64. Um, you know, the 77%, um, that would invest in Bitcoin, uh, you know, hopefully they've already invested by now because the ETFs launched in October. Uh, so that percentage is probably higher at this point. I, I don't think there are that many people that get into Bitcoin and then get out of it. So um, this percentage is probably like a, 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 an ever increasing graph. Um, but yeah, very interesting survey from Grayscale, even though it's, uh, it's somewhat limited in who it surveyed. Um, Hash rate is at an all-time high again. The long winter of hash rate is finally over as the miners kicked out of China seems to have located elsewhere and the supply of new miners uh, finally kicking into gear. This was inevitable as it's been insanely profitable to mine for the duration of the low hash rate season. Perhaps the large profit margins have put more sell-side pressure on Bitcoin, which may explain the current price level. So um, the past nine months or so, the hash rate has been very low, meaning that there's been a larger margin uh, for those that were uh, uh, were mining. So likely that means that, uh, you know, it, it allows for uh, you know, using electricity that's much more expensive and so on. And for those people, they may be selling to make up the profit and so on. So uh, what we may have been getting is a lot more sell side pressure uh, which may or may not, um, uh, you know, uh, indicate that there's a lot, a uh, lot more, uh, uh, you know, demand that was met uh, that that would be accumulating right now. Um, it's possible, for example, that the stock to flow model requires the hash rate to stay roughly steady or something like that. I, I'd love to see a graph of. Um, you know, taking hash rate into account in a stock to flow model, maybe that would be more accurate. I don't know. Sam Callahan of Swan shows why a dollar cost averaging strategy works so well for most people. He names this strategy the Bitcoin savings plan and shows that historically it's done very well. As he points out, the mental relief of not having to time the market is definitely worthwhile as it is the lack of regret. I know people who did this back in 2015 and 2016 and they are very happy. So Bitcoin savings plan is uh, is part of what uh, what I recommend to uh, newbies that want to invest because the first question they always have is should I get into it now or whatever. I, I think this post is what you should send them and say, hey, no, like that's not a good idea. Just go and buy it on a regular basis. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, if you want real anonymity on the internet, here's a nice guide. Uh, the guide basically goes through how you use Bitcoin to stay uh, anonymous on the internet and so on. So, uh, really uh, interesting post um, that uses sort of Bitcoin in a in a sideways way. Uh, no more uh, tour in Russia. So Russia has banned tour, um, and you're gonna have to find some other way to get online anonymously or whatever. Level 39 explains how Ethereum's difficulty bomb is coercive. Um, Ethereum is completely and utterly centralized. And this is one of the tools that their central bank uses to uh, control everybody else. Another week, another altcoin gets DDoS and proves its insane fragility. This is Solana. And they basically 
didn't run for a while because they were getting DDoS because it's completely centralized. Another week, uh, another altcoin recognizes there are tons of rent seekers and another. Uh, the first one is EOS, and apparently Brock Pierce's company hasn't been doing very much for them, and the EOS people decided, okay, we should cut them off. Um, and the other one is, uh, I believe, uh, SushiSwap, and there's a bunch of people that are not happy with how SushiSwap is going. So, you know, I, th this what's going to happen is all these rent-seeking things. I, I mean, they're all rent-seeking it's just getting recognized that there's nothing productive happening because they're you know they're not the hot new coin right now so you know um yeah we'll 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 see how these things end up but i i'm expecting a bloodbath in the next few years um events i am planning to be in london for advancing bitcoin march 3rd and 4th and there is some possibility i won't be able to get into the uk i'm also going to be at bitcoin 2022 in miami april 6th to 8th i'll also be doing the program programming blockchain seminars in london and in miami right before those two conferences all right some podcasts on this week's bitcoin fixes this i talked to safety namus about his new book the fiat standard Find out how fiat money came to be, the difference between money and credit, and why he thinks Bitcoin and the dollar can coexist. So really cool conversation with Safety. Um, he went through a lot of different concepts that I found fascinating in the book, and we really only cover the first third of the book or so. Um, there's a lot more in that book. Highly recommend the book. I read through last week's newsletter, which you can find, and I talked to Robert Breedlove some more on the What is Money show about democracy, public property, and a lot of other stuff. So we've been going through democracy, the God that failed, and talking about the various uh, you know concepts in that book. Um, and you know, he and I have been talking about you know property rights and why public property is an abomination and so on. Uh, recommend you to look at that as well. I talked about the new book on AuthorCast. AuthorCast is uh, you know, just basically going over Bitcoin books and why you should read it. So I talked about Thank God for Bitcoin there. My other books are The Little Bitcoin Book and Programming Bitcoin. Um, and there is another book that I'll be launching on Kickstarter, uh, hopefully later today <laughs> um, and, you know, ending sometime this week, uh, which is titled Bitcoin and the American Dream. Uh, th this is a book for policymakers and uh, so they can understand it. But please stay tuned. Unchain Capital is a sponsor of this newsletter. I am an advisor and proud to be a member uh, of a company that's enhancing security for Bitcoin holders. If you need multi-sig, collaborative custody, or Bitcoin native financial services, learn more at unchain.com. Fiat the Lenda S, this song is done.